benders and non-benders alike, welcome to Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. I'm Janet Varney. And I'm Dante Bosco. And last week we recapped a hugely important episode from the entire Avatarverse. Of course, we're talking about Zuko alone. It's so, so good. So good. And we were joined by our friend Adel Rafai, who brought such great perspectives and enthusiasm to the episode. It was awesome. Love having these guests to come in and make us look smarter. And this week, we're excited to get into some more detail about something we've talked about here and there in numerous past episodes of the podcast. That's right. Whether it's been talking about the fantastic Art of Avatar book, which I feel like I bring up every other episode, or our name-dropping books like The Rise of Kiyoshi, or having writer Jean Wen Yang on the podcast for our Siege of the North Part 2 recap and discussion— we have been very vocal about our love of the Dark Horse comic side of the Avatarverse. So we figured it was time to dedicate an episode to giving a bit more info to those of you who might not know that side of the Avatarverse quite as well. And maybe even, you know, lay a foundation for further and deeper discussions on Braving the Elements about these various amazing stories that have been told via Dark Horse. And to dig more into this amazing trove of Dark Horse stuff covering the Avatar The Last Airbender... We are so happy to welcome back the friend of the show and a longtime writer of both series and books, Tim Hedrick. What's up, Tim? Welcome back. Oh, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad I passed the audition. And I feel like now I'm really <laughs> ready to launch into like a long association with uh-huh. the pod. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah, the audition, of course, was having you on for The Deserter. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, you were able to make us look really good. And... Good. We decided to bring you back after much discussion. Zero discussion. <laughs> sure, it was zero that. discussion. It was like, when can we get Tim back on? And we could have you on for so many different things because you did write so much. And of course, we talked about you a lot. Your ears must have been burning when we had Josh on and Jeremy when we talked about uh, Secret Tunnel. Yes. Um, even though he did try to take credit for everything, we made yeah. sure to acknowledge your uh, huge it's contribution. About time. The truth yeah. must be told. <laughs> But yeah, you've just to recap really quickly for everybody, you wrote on Avatar, you wrote on Korra, and you've been digging deeper and deeper into the Dark Horse side. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the different books and comics that you've written or co-written. Um, but welcome back. And how does it feel to be a comic book writer in addition to being a, an esteemed television writer? Well, I should say that... I did write some of the comics that were early on in Nick Magazine. That's when we were still working on the show. The later Dark Horse stuff that came out, I'm not a writer. I'm just a consultant. I'm just here as a guide, as a friendly guide for the show. Okay, okay. Yeah. Holder of the lore, Tim? That's right. Lore holder, yes. Yeah, but didn't some of the stuff that, like, I felt like Suki Alone, for example, came out pretty recently. Like, is that, am I crazy about that? It did, and yeah. you were part of that? I'm part of the team, okay. but I, I don't want right. to take any writing credit from people who actually are doing the writing. Absolutely. I don't mean to imply that, but I will say that your name does absolutely appear in direct I am in the correspondence books. to that book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and others. So I'm glad that you're here. Uh, we obviously are, we've made no secret about being new to becoming connoisseurs of the Avatarverse. It would be a major lie if we pretended like we knew the books and comics backwards and forwards so everybody at avatar studios and over here on the podcast side we're so excited to have somebody who has had uh, more of a hand in it and been around for longer and can kind of help us get people acquainted with 
the various things that they can find. Like, for example, how many times do we still get asked whatever happened to Zuko's mom? You can find out. Yeah, you, it's the, uh, the secret is out. I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you. You should read the comics. But that's yeah, right. If anybody tuned in you. thinking they were going to get a quick, easy crib sheet answer no, to that, no, you're listen, so wrong, my friends. What do you want to put Dark Horse out of business? These people got to feed their families <laughs> too. You know, Dante, wouldn't you say someone asks us that every single con we do? Uh, always, every everywhere I go, and I always say, read the comics. It's called the search. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's it's right. fascinating because how many graphic novels have there been now since the uh, the ending of the first show after our last Airbender? Mm, that's a good question uh, because there have been comics for Avatar, the Last Airbender, and also Korra comics. Right. Um, I want to say that there probably have been. Now, see, this is where someone from Dark Horse could come in and fact check me, but I'm going to say that there probably were seven of the Avatar, the Last Airbender comics. There are two compilations of three, maybe, and then like right. a side hustle with some. A side hustle? <laughs> the Suki Alone one is uh, a, a future. Toph's Metal Bending, uh, Toph Beifong's Metal Bending Academy, Katara's story about being a pirate. You know, there's some chibi stuff out there. Yeah. It's fun, too. There's plenty of uh, quite a bit. storytelling going on in between the shows. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of extended, you know, Avatar lore that comes out in the comics. And then there's some that are just kind of standalone single shots that kind of give you a little glimpse into one character's journey, which is pretty fun, too. Which I think is kind of, I, I like those a little better, personally. You like the standalones? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like an episode. It's more like an episode of the show. Sure. Versus the other ones that are, they're a sequel, almost. Yeah. Plus, you know, Mike is usually instrumental in guiding the story of those, if not just outright writing them. And so I have less to do with those. So. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What takes it easy on me? Well, yeah. <laughs> just for reference, um, this is what comes up for your writing credits for Dark Horse side of things. Issue two, Water War. Mm, Tell us yes. if any of this sounds unfamiliar or No, familiar. Water War, was that was one of the first little comics that we did for Nick Magazine when we were okay. still working in the old Nickelodeon offices, grinding out shows. And uh, it was kind of like a little side assignment that came in, in between episodes to write these comics. So it was super fun. I had never done comics at that point. So that was like my the first comic probably I ever wrote was that one. And how many pages, wow. if that's inside Nick Magazine, how does that handle It was short. It was like probably like three or four pages long. Gotcha. So all those little adventures, they were just little fun asides that kind of went in your Nick magazine in between the maze that took SpongeBob from one side <laughs> of the, you know, Crab Shack to the other. Right. <laughs> but I was wondering, in writing, you said it's your first time writing comics at that time. How was it different than writing the script? Because, you know, you have the dialogue and then you're not writing a description. It's just kind of all there on the page. It's very similar, but you... No one's moving, right? That's what you have to remember when you're writing a comic is that you can't say they walk from this side to the other side because they're not doing that. They're just going uh -huh. up, right? So you have to kind of like think in these little pictures. So that's that's very different. But you are trying to give the artist, you know, in your description of what happens in the panel, like exactly what the audience should be seeing. For these, it's all about setting up a joke, right? So it's the water right. wars. It's like they're, you know, having a water balloon fight with waterbenders. And, and so... 
it's all like selling the comedy. So it's all kind of setting up what you're going to see. And then there's like a reveal or something you pop out at the end. You just have to think about like people not moving and talking and they can't say too much at one yeah, point. Limited dialogue, you know, I would think. Yeah, it's full up. So then you got to like spread it out. What you want to do when you're writing a comic is to have the final panel of the page be kind of like a mini cliffhanger. So you're like, mm. oh, I, oh, I better find out what happens over here. Page You don't want anybody to just sure. get to the end of the page and be like, no, <laughs> done. Which happens yeah. all the time. Didn't Gene say that too, Dante, that you have to make sure your final panel before you turn the page is like yes. stirring and cliffhanger enough that you're like, yeah. yes, I will. Tricks of the trade, I guess. That's right. Yes, I will take the two calories it burns for me to turn uh, the page. I no, will expend that I don't know. This, this seems like it's over. I'm going to stop. <laughs> Were you a fan of camp comic books growing up at all? You know, I was, but I have to say that as a kid, we would go to like the drugstore and buy comics yeah, so, off the uh, rest, you know? Yeah, 7-Eleven, right? yeah. it was just right there. So it wasn't like you're going to a comic shop and getting like a run of all the Daredevil or whatever. So it was right. always kind of like you get one, you get to the end and then you wouldn't know what happened because you won't go to the rack next time and they wouldn't have that one. They'd have Hulk instead. And then you're mm. reading a separate story. So I just found it a little bit... Uh, dissatisfying right, right my right. comics experience as a youth because i didn't have the full story i'd rather go to the like the used book sale at the library and get a whole story yeah, <laughs> that way i know how it ends fair enough fair enough what about the bridge you remember the bridge that was an issue 14 oh yes the bridge i mean it wasn't the basis for that great uh borderlands show that came on uh -huh. amc later but it was very similar yeah I think that was maybe a Danish-Swedish show that got remade in America, too. Well, so. who's to say where Who they got their say? inspiration We're from, not here to say that. <laughs> and then, like I said, your name is uh, very much a part of credits for Katara and the Pirate Silver and Toph oh, Bayfong's yes. Metal Bending Academy and Suki Alone. Can you tell us like where those fall in the chronology of the show? Okay, so the Suki Alone takes place uh, at the Boiling Rock prison. And okay. so it's kind of happens before Sokka and Zuko come in for the breakout. Oh, right. So it's kind of what happens with Suki in prison when she's alone. When she's alone. Oh. That was a really fun one because it's like you really get to explore her character. She, You get to find out a lot about the Kyoshi Warriors and her upbringing and like her mindsets. There's a lot of moving meditation scenes in there. So that's kind of a very serious look at, at Suki and how she survives prison. Katara and the Pirate Silver sounds like it might be a little bit more. It's a little more fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little a more, more fun. Yeah. And yeah. that's when they're just kind of like crossing the Earth Nation and they, they she kind of like falls off Appa and gets into an adventure. Is it the same pirates that we know from the show? It is not. They're different pirates. But okay. there is some shenanigans with uh, Fire Nation Plenty Navy. Plenty of pirates in the Avatarverse. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of pirates out there. And, you know, war makes great times for pirates. Or I guess for some pirates and less so for others. How many years have you been around these characters? How does it feel to live with these characters for so long? It makes me feel very old. And I think it has been like maybe 15 years uh, since the show came out. Is that right? I mean, that's a long time. It's a yeah. long time. It's, I don't feel good about that, I guess. If I'm really <laughs> looking at it the, on the face of it. Oh, no. No, it's great that, you know, as you know, it's wonderful that people still care so much about these characters, you know? Sure, so right. you feel a responsibility, honestly, like when you're telling new stories that they 
are worthy of the characters and the fandom who want these to be great, you know? So there's kind of a lot of pressure on uh, now more than ever to make them good. Cause otherwise people are like, well, what is, are you guys just pumping out a bunch of junky comics to, you know, sure. make me spend my hard earned avatar Which, cash on. I mean, know? not to right. speak ill of other franchises, but I feel like that probably is a thing that happens. Yeah. A hundred percent. It does. And I mean, you have to like bring in, you know, new talent, writers and artists who love the franchise and want to, you know, continue it, which is not a problem because artists love the show, you know, and they everybody wants to do these comics. So, you know, then it's just about just kind of making sure that you're and this is where I, I'm brought in to be kind of like, well, on Avatar, we wouldn't do it that way. You know, it's to be the annoying guy who's just kind of like you're the backseat eh, driver. Eh. Is what I'm exactly. Yes, keeper of the lore. Right. <laughs> the keeper of the lore sounds better, but I think uh-huh. backseat driver may be more accurate. <laughs> but do you think you all ultimately start to just feel like you, you know, these are like characters I know? Like, these oh yeah, like- oh my god, yes. This is uh, I know these guys so well. It's you know, it's frightening. I love working with these characters because yeah, there's infinite number of situations you can put them in and just think oh oh, there's all there's going to be fun shenanigans that these guys get into and you know fights conflict and all that stuff so it's good to go back i think into the show and be able to expand some moments where you're like oh i wonder what happened there that's a really like interesting thing to do having like done the entire show and then pick the moments where it's like oh here's a little hole that we didn't really explore before Absolutely. Uh, what can you tell us about Toph Beifong's Metal Bending Academy? Well, let me tell you that Toph Beifong is not a traditional teacher. <laughs> um, <laughs> that has been interesting. You know, that's like uh, the Toph's Metal Bending Academy was kind of, I think, uh, started in the Mike DiMartino comics era and handed over to me. And so I kind of got to read those before I got involved with how they would play out in my comics or the comics that I was a part of. That's fun because there are all these new characters that weren't in the show, you know, top students who have their own personalities that I haven't had to, the chance to play with before. So that's pretty fun to get those guys and. And then you get to see Toph kind of growing up and having to be responsible, which obviously she hates. She manages to do it somehow, though, because... Yeah, she has to, right? If you can found a police department, then you must be doing something right. That's right. I mean, she invented metal bending, so she's got some talents. Yeah. Indeed. But in that one, we also have some musicians coming through. Just tease anyone who hasn't read the comics. There there are some of our favorite musicians roll through town in that one, which is pretty good. And Toph is not a fan. Gotta love that. Which characters in the Dark Horse graphic novels have the biggest surprises after the series? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, there's no bigger surprise than Zuko's families uh, and how all that plays out. That's the one that people ask about. That's what people want to know. And you find out all kinds of stuff about Zuko and Azula Mm -hmm. and and what their mother's been up to. And uh, wow, that's revelations there. New members of the family, question mark, question mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot going on with those guys. I'd say that that's probably the most revelatory. But I think that uh, what Ang gets up to after the show and kind of where, you know, this story bridges the gap between Airbender and Korra is pretty interesting, too. And finding out like kind of what the basis of uh, Republic City is and how yeah. all that got started up. So I guess the answer is everyone has some incredible Good answer. Thank you. <laughs> 
And so, Tim, this is kind of a juicy question. This comes up a lot mm. on the show. Do you have what we'll call a favorite adversary from Avatar The Last Airbender? Let's let's stick to, to Aang's universe since we haven't even begun to dip into Korra yet. Mm. Do you have a favorite adversary mm. from within that world? I do. It is, it's Azula. It's a hands down Azula. She's... I hate Azula. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I love Azula, but I hate I her. I feel exactly the same way. I mean, and I think that's how the world feels. Yeah, she's bad. She's real yeah. bad. And what I like about her is that she shows no signs of turning good. She's really committed. Right. She's not going to flip. She really she's doesn't. not going to flip on the Fire Nation. I was hoping she would a few times. Even when we're trying to grab her hand at the end, she's like, no, I ain't trying to grab your hand. <laughs> no. Family, right? I'll go down with this shit. Yeah. Even at her most quote unquote likable in the beach, foreshadow report, which we've foreshadow reported that episode so many times. I feel like we've already covered it <laughs> right. in completion. But, you know, even when you see her and you feel sympathy for her, it's not like it's because you've seen this like soft, sweet side of her. Right. You're still like, oh, I right. actually feel kind of sorry for you because you're so socially inept being the incredibly seemingly evil person that you are <laughs> no you totally understand <laughs> why she's evil right i mean you get yes. it you know she was raised that yeah. way as a, as a child and you feel for her but still super bad super super duper bad. her brother's having this amazing redemptive arc it's true and you're like i mean and a lot of fans as me and Vanya are going around speaking at panels especially this new generation that, that you know they're really into redemption and zuko and they're like do you hope that someday there'll be a redemptive arc for azula i'm like i mean as her brother zuko yes but i don't know i don't see it it's not coming as a fan i hope it never comes you know it continues in the comic book she continues being her same self yeah. You know. And yet it doesn't become boring. You know, there are some adversaries in shows where or storytelling where you feel like you sort of get the beat on them. And then you're like, OK, so another set of zombies. That's a bad example, because I know people love zombie shows. But, um, you know, there's a right way and a wrong right. way to have a, a character who has these qualities that they keep expressing over and over. But it stays interesting. And I feel like you guys did such an amazing job of keeping her so interesting and so relevant and so delightful to watch. She's not having that Zuko arc. She's not having growth as a character. And so I think that's like such a great lesson for wannabe writers to see, wow, how do I do this? How do I not redeem a character, but keep them in the story and keep you wanting more? I think it's because she is not successful all the time, right? I mean, and she's not beaten all the time. Sometimes she, right. you know, beats the gang and, you know, she seems like she's unbeatable, but then other times they kind of get one over on her. So you never really know where she's coming from. And also she's a little crazy. Right. So that just kind of gives her that bit. wild card factor, that kind of joker just style. Just a little bit. Yeah. Isn't it so good for Zuko? I feel like we haven't talked about this specifically necessarily with the sibling relationship, but it's like what a blessing that he ended up not being as talented as his sister because really? do you know what I mean? Like that really, that opened the window. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not giving I'm not trying to clearly less rub talented, it in. much much less talented. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it left the window open a minusculely with all him to understand how you look at the whole thing we don't <laughs> judge don't firebending <laughs> by numbers there are a lot of different no, kinds of talents know, I know, I yeah i mean it's not I all do, just I shooting like we're all top tier firebenders <laughs> here barney just saying 
had he had his father's complete and total adoration, maybe he wouldn't have had the relationship he had with his mom. Maybe he wouldn't have had the empathy that he develops over time because he's had that rejection. True. So true. I think it's a good thing. Yet I know somehow that will be used against me in a future episode. <laughs> <laughs> also, I mean, would a, would a great adversary like Azula, it doesn't hurt to have, once again, Grey Delisle. Mm. I know. Yes. That voice still is like what in my joy. head the way she does. For a lot of people, too, it's in your head, reading the comics mm -hmm. and even anything that bad goes down in life. I can hear Azula just teasing me about it. You're so right. <laughs> when you read the comics, you really do. You hear those characters' voices. So, okay, so just to circle back, make sure we're covering everything. So we've got our Lost Adventures stuff that you worked mm -hmm. on. The mm -hmm. standalones, Guitar on the Pirate Silver, Toph Beifong's Metal Bending Academy, Suki Alone. Is there any other comic that sort of jumps to mind, whether well, or not you had anything to do with it? Mostly my role in the comics now is to kind of help guide these writers into the world of Avatar. And, you know, it's a lot of fun to do, but I love to see Uncle Iroh come back. And he is in a fantastic yes. comic called Matcha Maker. And I will say I came up with that terrible pun for the title because it's all about him. <laughs> I like it. Uh, being, I like it. I have not read romantic. that. I got to check that out. And I, I brought in my Uncle Iroh teapot today to yes. uh, just to have here um yeah yes. so that's a good one and uh it's like you know he's kind of got a little romance brewing at the jasmine dragon come on let's go and is that one of the free comic book i think it day is a free issues? comic book day one yeah so oh that's i gotta awesome. read that one i haven't seen that. i love the jasmine dragon he's hanging under the dragon and just Bit you know falling in love there's little spirits there he's making tea you know it's it's a wonderful oh, time yeah it. I love, I love it. it. I've toyed with the idea of opening a matcha shop because I just, I love matcha too. And I'm like, I a matcha too. tea shop. Yeah. Where can I open one in LA? You could just call it the Jasmine Dragon, right? Would that be, is that copyright? I don't know. Oh, I'll call it the Jasmine Ooh. Dragon, but uh, we might get in trouble for that. But we'll do something, a little matcha on our tea house. <laughs> Oh, it could be Jasmine with a Z since oh, that yes. away yes. From Z. you pull out from the copyright, but also you add the Z for the Fire Nation because they love to put Z's in their names. That's so, true. Yeah. Royalty. Like a Royalty. Wink. Our family, the Ozai family, part of the tree for sure. <laughs> That's right. Tim, if I told you that we had a ton of questions from social media for you, would you be excited, scared? or both? Uh, Yeah, all, all of the above. I think that uh -huh. sounds, could be horrifying, <laughs> could be great. You never know with social media, right? Let's see how much you know, Tim. Let's see how <laughs> much you okay know. let's see yeah you want to start us off dante yes okay from at designer underscore fiction they ask do you still to this day have stories from the atla universe pop into your head while washing the dishes which one of the avatars would you be most interested in writing about and why oh hmm you know i mean number one do you wash dishes i guess we should ask i the do very most wash important dishes question. yes i don't like to use okay. a dishwasher i like to get those dishes clean and get them out of the way right now what are we stacking them up for right. let's get through those dishes that's right um I, I still have some ideas that would be good avatar episodes but i try to you know farm those into other things now so that I, they're not just stacking up gathering fan fiction dust uh-huh I love that, you know, a lot of us fans out there, we think of ideas. I mean, people, we talk about storylines all the time at cons and whatnot. What if, what if, what if. And you're actually one of the people that can go, what if, and actually put it into a book and make it canon. Yes. That's true. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, I've never just kind of rolled into Dark Horse and said, all right, guys, here's the way I want to see this go down. <laughs> but maybe I should. Maybe I should be uh, a little more forceful in that. 
I guess I'm waiting to be invited for them, you know, come on in and like pitch us your original ideas. Understood. Understood. Quick shout out to Dark Horse for people that have not actually read the comics, put their hands on the comics. I grew up reading comic books and a lot of them are, even today, are like the paper pages and it's like, it's comic books. But these Dark Horse comics are really high quality. Like mm-hmm. every page is really like thick and they're nice nice and a higher standard of comic book when you're reading it which is really cool it is that's really good to point out it really honors the art form you know what i mean it really elevates it and reminds you how much work an amazing craftsmanship goes into telling these stories and illustrating and i remember uh, talking to irene co about turf wars and it was so reminiscent of Mike and Brian and you and our other friends in the Avatar verse who work behind the scenes where when I asked her like, oh my gosh, what an amazing experience, huh? And there's like eight emotions that play across <laughs> her face all at once. And one of them is definitely pain. And, you know, and she's like, yes, it was amazing. I mean, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's just a lot of work. It's true. It's like we should be remembering how much work it is. Yeah, you know? making comics is a lot of work, especially for the artists. And, uh, you know, I think that's what Brian especially is very interested in, like making sure that the art that goes into the books is up to the standards of the show, you know? And so yeah. uh, Jenny and Rachel at Dark Horse definitely do a lot of recruiting where we look at art and, you know, try to see who who's going to do the next books. And so there'll be a lot of the sorting that happens when they do kind of the uh, the big collections where they're like the shorts that go into the books. Well, a lot of that's kind of like a tryout for like, is this yeah. person maybe going to do like a huge run, you know, to make sure that they can right nail on. the style of the show or have their own wow. style. That's that's really cool. So, yeah. It's definitely difficult. The quality of these comics, they almost, to me, like graphic novels. Because the, the, just the quality of holding the books, and especially when they come to collections, and just it just seems like so much heavier than a weekly comic that comes out. Yeah. Yeah. And designer fiction, if it seems like Tim didn't directly answer the specific question about avatars that Tim might be interested in writing about, I just want to say, and I don't know if this is why, but you are still connected to Avatar Studios. So we're in this kind of territory where we don't know exactly what you're working on, but we know that you're involved. We don't know what avatars are going to have their own shows coming up or movies or what. Who knows what will happen? You're in a tight position because there might be stuff that you would like to answer and have answers for that you are going to have to dance around. So I don't know if that was a dance around, but I want to say if it was, mwah excellent dance around i will say that like i think that all of the kiyoshi stuff that's come out has been really cool you know and that's the one avatar that's really been fleshed out like post show that's really like very very cool stuff so if people haven't been reading about avatar kiyoshi check out those novels because those are great agree dante what's the next one the next one's from at just me asking also is he ever surprised about how fans interpret things versus what writers intend do writers work with the artists on how they imagine how things would look like? See, everyone's doing two questions. These questions are two questions. It's true. Everybody's sneaking in a series of questions. Okay. The answer to the first question is absolutely yes. The fan perception question is always like, what? Yeah. Constantly people say things that you know, you're surprised about. For the artists, yes. We work with the artists. In the, when you write the script, if you're introducing somebody new, like a new character, Frequently, you'll talk about how they're dressed or where they're from or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And usually, like, when you're sketching out the action, it's pretty thorough in building all that stuff out. So you don't want your artist to just kind of look at the script and be like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? Right. You want to give them something. 
And then if they do something that awesome that's not that, that's cool too, you know, but you at least want to give them some leads, right? Nice. All right, we got a real specific question here um, for some certain shippers out there. Don't Ooh. know if you can answer this, but uh, at Blastoff PCY says, any updates on May and Zuko? It's pretty heavily alluded that their story is not over yet, but we would like to know any plans for continuation. Hmm. Yeah, no idea. I don't know. I, you okay, know, all right. What, what Zuko does in the future uh-huh. <laughs> we don't know what zuko does in the future i'm sure we'll all find out gotcha 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 i mean they're just kids you know come on give them yeah. some time to grow up and meet new all people right, i mean okay. you know who says that may yeah, wants okay. to date zuko anymore i know mm-hmm. i know you see these projects where like the kid they're kids and they hook up and they're like they're married 20 30 years later like how's that possible <laughs> i don't even remember who i dated in the seventh grade are you kidding me fair all right what's the next one buddy the next one comes from ATLA Facebook from Will Milo, and he asks, are there any new comics in the works? What's your favorite comic? Again, two questions, Will. Very sneaky. We Again, double question. There are comics in the works. So because of COVID, there are a lot of delays in paper shipments and all kinds of that kind of stuff that's kind of boring to talk about, but is actually... You know, if you're a comics fan, you know what's happening. Or if you're a record fan, you know, like there's a vinyl shortage. You know, all this stuff has happened because boats can't get to the harbors, guys. So there are comics that have been in the works that are now delayed and are coming out later. I think there's a Chibi comic that's coming out. I think now it's like in 2023. Um, There's one that's called Patterns in Time. I think it's coming out this fall. So, yeah, there's more stuff that's kind of in the can waiting to come out. And then we have talked about some future different comics, but I can't really say which one of those is going to go forward yet. But, yeah, Mm -hmm. comics always Mm -hmm. in the works, you know? Great. Yeah, there was a a general questions from folks about delays on comics, and I assumed that it was a supply chain issue and you've just confirmed it. So for all those of you who are huge lovers of the comics and are have been frustrated, know that I think everybody's been frustrated on all ends wanting to get those wonderful stories into your hands. We're living in a digital age and we want paper more than ever. I know. What's going on? It's crazy. I love the analog quality of looking at actual books and comics, I have to admit. Okay, on Instagram, at Abedi, and I hope I said that right. Abedi.Ryan asks, what moment from the comics hits you the hardest? Once you saw it finished, was there um, a moment when you were sort of seeing the finished product uh, on a piece that you worked on or even that you didn't work on that you were like, oh, beautifully done, like, yes. Mm. Well, you know, the Suki alone story is just pretty powerful. Suki in jail. I worked with uh, Faith Erin Hicks. She wrote the comic. I did not write. I was just by her side, you know, whispering her good luck yeah it was great that was one where in the end she's almost like lost right i mean she's in prison and she's thinks that she's made this new friend who now i'm just i'm spoiled i should have said spoiler before i started this if you haven't read the comic this is what happens she makes a new friend in prison <laughs> who betrays her and report, so yeah and she does all of this report. awesome kind of like this training that she's learned from the Kyoshi warriors. And she's, it's like a moving meditation of like summoning up the past. And it's just turned out really great. It's that's probably the most moving part of the comics for me because that was like a fun. Oh, and yeah, did I, I forgot, I think we forgot to, uh, to answer Will's sneaky second question, which was what's, do you have a favorite amongst the comics? Uh, I'll just go with that one. I'm going to stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Sounds like it. Sook. Sook. <laughs> I know when I read the search for the first time, I read the search and we, we find Azula again. I hadn't seen Azula in years. Mm-hmm. To find her in a straight jacket, I was like, what? Yeah. Oh, no. Azula. It's definitely fulfilling uh, something I'm sure a lot of people imagined seeing happen at some point. I know. It's just a horrible right image. Just like your sister in a straight jacket in a mental yeah. ward. Like, oh my. I will say that from a very like Avatar nerdy perspective, to see like Cranefish City become this place that's going to turn into like a Republic City and, and the you know transition between the shows. Like that's super fun. I love all that kind of like bridge material. Yeah. You know, that kind of filling in where that's everything great. is headed. So that's good. And it's begging to be done. You know, that's the great thing about the Avatar verse is that not concerning that Avatar Studios is making a bunch of stuff. Like there is so much that begs to be made. It's so not many like, avatars. Oh, let's see. Let's lift up this rock. What's under here? I guess we'll do that. Like that's just so, so far avatars. from what's happening in the Avatar verse. It's very exciting. Yeah. Um, what's the next one, buddy? From Instagram, steph.garcia.g asks, what's the best advice you can give inspiring writers to give their own stories depth and richness of the world they're making? For all the writers out there. Okay, so I just listened to a kind of world-building talk from N.K. Jemison, who is a science fiction writer who's awesome. So I would just say, listen to that. <laughs> That's what I did. Ooh, I'm making <laughs> I a note of this myself, That was just, like, just this week. Yeah. And it was really incredible. And it talks about how, you know, you should think about the geography. It's actually like kind of the opposite of the way that I've ever done it. So it was really interesting to me. She talks about how she, you look at the world and like, where are the continents? Geologically and geographically, it shapes the people that live there. And then you'd kind of drill down from there on like how the societies are put together And so it was really interesting because she talks about how you use all that as the backstory that you kind of have in your pocket then going into like what your story is going to do, what your character is going to do. I've always done it more, what is the story and the main character and then finding things to like oppose that. Mm -hmm. So then building the world backwards, I guess, around that and saying, oh, Mm -hmm. it'd be cool if the world worked like this and and that's how it went. So it was really interesting to hear her kind of talk about doing it from the opposite way. Because she also cool. writes incredible characters and stories and all that stuff. It's fascinating. World building is fascinating. When I write, I just write, what would I do in this situation? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's what it all is, right? <laughs> yeah. But like to think about yourself as being a, an anthropologist for something that doesn't exist yet is very intimidating, but also really exciting. Yeah. But it really hits home when you say that. It really hits home like, oh, get ready. This is an investment. This is work. This is blood, sweat, and tears. It's not just like, and then, I don't know, one night I just built this whole world and ta-da! <laughs> like, yeah. that we have to be willing to be patient with the way that sort of grows and develops. Um, but that's great. Okay, I can't wait to listen Either to way that. you do it, it is, yes, blood, sweat, and tears is correct. Like, you know, you're going to get halfway through and then realize you did something wrong, have to start over. Or you get all the way through and be like, oh, this was actually just the prologue to what the story I yeah. actually want to tell. You're going to find that character that's just kind of a side character that you're like, no, nah, this should be the lead. Wow. And so I would say, here's my advice to writers, is uh, you should always be ready to throw everything away. That's like mm. the only good way to proceed. Because you'll know what's good, <sighs> hopefully, and then you'll realize the rest of it isn't good. And you just have to like, that just goes in the trash now. That's the hardest part. It's so good to hear from someone who's doing it for a living. I think that's really, really, that's actually really, it's like scary, but empowering. Okay, this one, next one's a long one. Bosco, help us out. What's this next one? 
And by the way, I see a lot of question marks in here, so it might be a, a lot, lot of question questions. Marks. This is a <laughs> dissertation to you. Yeah. It's a conversation, actually. Uh, from Instagram, a Solon Fire asks, is it a coincidence that Tim always writes the episodes when strange and creative bending is introduced? Sand bending, air bending with sand, the drone hands of Dai Li, sometimes it looked like they were metal bending those chains onto their captives, or blood bending, she says people bending just doesn't sound right on kids' show, or in Korra, spirit bending. Are some of the major plot builders, did Tim create these? Those are the questions. Great question. Is it a coincidence? Kind of, yeah. It is a little coincidence. <laughs> Everything is all created in the, you know, the pot that everybody's throwing stuff into in the writer's room and Mike and Brian come in and we have an idea and someone else has an idea and it all goes in there and then it kind of gets developed. And then there's a little bit of luck where your number comes up and they're like, this is the episode I'm going to write. You know, sometimes you'll be in a situation where people will be like, oh, you had the most good ideas about this. So you get to write this episode. But sometimes it's just like, this is the next episode and you're up. So yeah, it is a little bit of a coincidence. Is there ever a time when there is that sort of moment? I mean, because I feel like this could be an avalanche that be happens all the time. So you have to be careful what rules you apply where someone's like, oh, I really wanted to write that one. And that writer is like, you know what? Take it. I'll switch with you. Because that seems like it could get really messy really fast in terms of there's a reason that you guys are scheduling things. So yeah, it stays it, even. It, once you start the season, I mean, depending on how many people are working, like Cora, we had a much smaller room than we did at Avatar. So there was a little bit more room to kind of slide things around there if someone was really campaigning for an episode. But Got it. usually there's not. It's like you finish your episode and then like you're kind of up on the next one and you just kind of like the production grid keeps moving and, you know, that's just how it goes. But I definitely have campaigned for episodes before and lost and been very upset about it. So oh. I'll just, I'm not going to say which ones. Everyone did a great job, but I probably would have done better on some of them. And fans, you decide which episodes those were. I wanted to say, Tim, to Salon Fire. Write it, write it, write it, write it, write it. I wanted you to say, yes, I am responsible for it. I am the bending bender. I'm the bender bender. Yeah. That's right. Um, this is more of just a comment, uh, just a shout out on Twitter from Andrew May 96, who says he loves Suki alone. That's definitely one of his favorites. Um, it gives us more insight into Suki's character arc, loves the side stories about Boiling Rock and all that good stuff. So that's definitely a favorite among fans oh, as well. Nice. Um, just so you know, just so you know. What's our next one, buddy? What's somebody else's fave? All right. On Twitter, Nato Tater says... As much as I love the search, I thought Imbalance did a great exploring of the relationship between vendors and non-vendors. Mm. It was especially cool to learn about, for Shadow Report, Aang's complicated feelings about taking away people's bending, even when they deserve it. Yeah. Which is, Ooh, that is, yeah. Uh, you know, that's like kind of the death penalty of Avatarverse, right? Is the taking away of bending, you know, and really exploring, yeah. getting into that. It's a, It's pretty invasive. It's a very last resort sort of thing it's a pretty intense thing and also very poignant in these times taking away people's kind of like god-given rights or whatever mm -hmm. that's you know personal rights so yeah that's definitely hits home for a lot of people for sure and i can see Aang having a have a bit of a a, a rub about that i yeah. personally but always feel like Aang could be tougher on people you know and i'm always mm. trying to encourage Aang to step up and yeah, really well, like he's the nicest of put on some law and order out there but that's just you know that's why i'm not the avatar <laughs> <laughs> he's a pretty nice avatar go back to kiyoshi yeah. go back to roku they're laying down the law it's true yeah. when you think about like all of you know ang's thoughts before you know fighting the fire lord and like all the avatars had different advice you know so and those are all his past lives so he's done all this before 
and has come yeah. to this new realization. So hopefully he should be moving forward. So maybe you're more enlightened as you go? Maybe, yeah. Cora, more enlightened as you go, maybe? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, you just have to keep staying. I mean, that's one of the things that is so cool about the Avatarverse is this idea of if you're going to stay on this earth and continue to be a help to humankind or whoever kind, you can't be that perfect, right? Because you have to stay in touch with what it is to be a human. So this idea of a cycle happening where there are things that you're always having to kind of reapproach from a different perspective and from a different body and from a different kind of bending or a different tribe, I think is, is one of the most compelling things about it. Because if we can't relate to people's flaws or the conflicts that people have in their hearts, then we lose the ability to really make change other than to just point at something and be like, that's different now, which doesn't help people evolve, right? Yeah. On the one hand, you would think that the avatar would be more able to put him or herself into another person's shoes because they've been through the cycle so many times and have access to these past lives, right? But on the other hand, when the guru is talking about where Aang should be going, he's kind of talking about like separating from, you know, that whole cycle and, and kind of embracing the just like eternal humanity in or not even humanity, just energy in all of us. Right. Being the same as the rock or the tree or the you yeah. know airbender, the firebender, they're all the same. And kind of to do that, you have to separate yourself from your individuality. You know, so that's mm. that's what and yeah. Aang decides not to do that because he's in love. with Tara. I love it. Um, really quickly, I just want to acknowledge from Instagram, Aang Kinney, who specifically also loves Imbalance and specifically wants to shout out Peter Wortman's art style and Faith's storytelling. Loves the um, origin story of what was to become Republic City and politics and restoring balance and all of that. But I love that um, Aang Kinney took the time to really shout out the people who are who are making and writing the art and the storytelling. Yeah, and they're cool people. They deserve that. Yeah, absolutely. Give them a shout out. Let's give them a shout out. Um, anything else that we haven't thought of or that we've missed? We haven't really gone through everybody who's listening to this. Um, we're not going to do like a a book by book chronological order and give you every single piece of information about where every book goes, because you can absolutely get that on the Dark Horse website. There's such a great resource. You can certainly go to Avatar Wiki. There are places where you can see the breakdown of that and also potentially access and get your hands on those stories as well. So we didn't want to like get so in the weeds on that, that you didn't feel like there's just places you can do that where you can really dig in and take all the time you want to sort of find out where things happen chronologically and stuff. But anything else that we haven't hit that we want to make sure we hit? I don't think so. I think this has been a real nice primer. Nice. Yeah. You know, for the people out there that have only watched the two shows, Airbender and Korra, and have not delved into comics, you can understand the, the Avatar versus so expansive through the comics over the last few years yes we are excited about the new things that are mike and brian and, and avatar studios is announcing and they're furthering what we know the stories are but there's plenty of stories to dig into to catch you up love it on what's going on and it's all connected and that for me as an avatar fan is exciting yeah i would definitely say I if you love haven't you read that. the comics and you're excited for the new stuff read the comics because it's only going to enrich your experience going forward you're going to know more yes. about what's happening. You may recognize some characters that you haven't 
gotten yeah. to meet yes yet. indeed you might meet some new yeah. ones you might meet some new ones absolutely and we've just established from talking to tim that you know everything's held to the same high standard as the shows you love so if you're opening cracking open a comic you're cracking open something that meets with the avatar world's approval and that's a high standard so i, I say dig in um, I think that's going to do it for this week, everybody. Tim, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you so much, Tim. Now we're going to drag you back in for more episodes. I love it. So for now, we will say goodbye. And next week, we will be recapping book two, episode eight, The Chase. And we're doing it with our friend, the fabulous actor and cosplayer, Erica Ishii. Thanks for listening to Avatar Brave the Elements. And make sure to subscribe and please leave us a review. It really helps the podcast so much. And me and Janet really appreciate it. You can follow me on social media at the JV Club on Instagram and at Janet Barney on Twitter. And I'm at Dante Bosco on both of those. We'll see you next Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye.